Yesterday was our <clears throat> wedding anniversary, and I like to mercilessly uh, tease Becky that on our wedding day she was 35 minutes early. Uh, I think it just shows a little bit too much keenness, but can you, can you blame her? Um, and uh, if it's your first time here, you'll get used to it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, she was 35 minutes early, but we were chatting about that yesterday, and I said, you know, at any point did you ever think about backing out? And uh, she said, no, but my dad on the way down gave me a really serious look. And any of you who have met Becky's dad will know that he kind of, you know, he, it's like meet the parents, you know, that eye thing. And uh, I nearly said the sequel to that movie there. Um, but, uh, if you got that. Uh, but he, Becky said he looked at me straight in the eye in the car on the way down from Hollywood. And he said, Becky, are you sure you want to go through with this? He said, I wouldn't be doing your duty as a father if I didn't ask you this now. And I thought, you slobber, Brian. (laughs) And she looked him in the eye and she said, Dad, I want to go through with it. And I am so glad she did. But there comes a point in our lives where we have to take that step of will we go back or will we go forward? I see Jeff and Emma here with us. I had the privilege in our worship team of being part of your wedding last Saturday. Um, congratulations, this is your first time back. You had a mini moon in, uh, in Ireland. And uh, just let's congratulate Jeff and Emma. We, it was such a lovely Christ-centered wedding down there. But there comes a point where we have to decide, are we going to keep moving forward or are we going to go back? And that's what we've seen in this series called Waymaker. God brings his people out of slavery and oppression, 400 years that they've been in that in Egypt. And he brings them out, but he takes them the long way around. And sometimes we've seen God takes us the long way around. Sometimes God seems to be going very slow in our lives. But we realize that often we think we're ready, but we're not ready. And God has a work to do in us before he can do a work through us. But so they're coming out of Egypt. They're coming boldly. That is until they hear the clickety-click, clickety-click, the hoofbeats of the Egyptians behind them because Pharaoh has changed his mind. And so he sends out 600 of his best chariots. He sends out all his troops to bring Israel back and we saw last week that they are trapped that God has actually brought them to a place where they're trapped they have mountains on either side they have the Red Sea in front of them and they've got Pharaoh coming behind them and we asked last week this question what do you do when you don't know what to do how do you make it through something when you don't know how to make it through and the answer was this It was the answer that God gave Moses in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Moses prays, and we believe prayer is really good. We're a church that places a heavy emphasis on prayer. But God says, this is not a time to pray. This is a time to move. Because sometimes prayer becomes an excuse for procrastination and passivity in our lives when we already know what God is calling us to do. We just don't really want to do it. We just don't really like to do it. We don't, it's not what we uh, plan to do. And God says, you know what? There's a time to pray, but there's also a time to move. And so Moses, I want you to move. I want you to move on with my people. Stop stressing about the enemy and opposition. I'll take care of them. Your job right now is to keep on moving. Because faith takes us forward. 
Faith in the Bible never takes us backwards. The only time God ever says look back in scripture is to look back and remember his faithfulness to propel you into the future. And so faith takes us forward. And so even if you don't have all the answers, keep on moving. If you're, even if you're unsure and uncertain, keep on moving. Even if it's unpredictable or uncomfortable, keep on moving. How do you get through something that you don't know how to get through? In faith and obedience, you keep on moving. And we see the enemy advancing behind them. And, you know, I, I don't have a, a... Verse 4 in chapter 14, I've been thinking about this just over the last day or so. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would pursue the Israelites. That's a weird verse. God hardened the heart of of Israel's enemies so that he would pursue them. And I've been thinking about this. Why would God want the enemy to come after us? And sometimes in life we need enemies. (laughs) Sometimes in life enemies are necessary. Uh, you see, friends are great, and we're a culture that's all about friendship. It's all about friends, you know, and church friends, and home groups, and small groups, and fellowship, and friends. And the thing about friends are this. Friends will tell you you're great no matter what you do. Friends will keep you where you are and tell you, we love you just the way you are. Sometimes we need an enemy to provoke us and to push us into the future. And sometimes God, when we've got settled and stagnant and stuck in one place, sometimes God will send an enemy or permit an enemy to come into our lives. Not to harm us, but to move us. And when I talk about an enemy, I could be talking about the enemy, the devil. I could be talking about adversity, adversaries. I could be talking about opposition and obstacles and problems and challenges. But sometimes we need that enemy coming behind us to push us forward. An enemy provokes us out of dormancy, out of slumber, out of passivity, where we've got stuck in one place. And there was, you know, the the Israelites had kind of, they'd come out of Egypt and they were kind of wandering around. And then they hear the hoofbeats behind them and the hoofbeats of the enemy provoke them to keep going. And sometimes in life, an enemy will do more to propel you into your future than your friends will. Just think about David. David arrives on the scene as an unknown shepherd boy. Nobody has a clue who he is until Goliath steps up. And within 24 hours, the number one song in Israel is, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Goliath was the best thing ever happened to David. Goliath did more to propel David towards his destiny than any of his brothers or his friends did. And sometimes God will bring an enemy into our lives to provoke us and to propel us and to push us out of where we've got comfortable And to bring us into our future. And what I've discovered is this. That enemies often arise at transition points. You see this is a transition point. They've come out of Egypt. And we've talked about that. The the tension of transition. That they've come out of Egypt. They've left that behind. But they're not sure what's ahead. And very often in life. The enemy tends to show up at those transition points. The devil arrives at the doorways. Sometimes it says you're exiting a place because he wants to keep you stuck there. He wants to keep you contained there. And sometimes as it's ent- you're entering a new place because he wants to stop you from going into that new place. And so what I have found is this. And this might be helpful for some of you, if not right now at some stage. When I'm facing unusual enemy attack, I've started to ask myself, what is God trying to bring me out of or what's he trying to lead me into? When I am facing unusual opposition, when I'm facing unusual pressure, it is very often 
because God is either trying to pressure me and push me out of something, or God is trying to, or, or the enemy is trying to stop me from entering into the next thing God has for me. And that's exactly what we see here. The enemy shows up as they're leaving Egypt. What's the next battle they're going to have to fight? It's in 40 years when they're entering Canaan. The enemy shows up at the entrance and the exit. And so if you're facing opposition, if you're facing pressure at the minute, perhaps the Lord doesn't so much want to take you out of it as he wants to speak to you through it and say, actually, there is something new for you on the other side of this. There is something I have for you. There is something I want to do in you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do... I go to the gym. I don't do cardio, you can tell. Um, I lift weights. But the thing about lifting weights is this. You need pressure. Muscle doesn't grow without pressure. It's called resistance exercise for a reason. It's all in there already, but the pressure brings it out. And sometimes God will allow the pressure into our lives to bring out what's all ready there. And that's what we see with Moses. Because look at verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. That sounds so easy, doesn't it? You know, God makes it sound so simple. It's just something you do every day. But once they're moving, God tells Moses, I want you to stretch out your hand I want you to stretch out your staff, and as you do that, I will part the water. This staff, this stick, is ordinary. Moses has spent 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness. This is just his shepherd's staff. It is so common. It is so everyday. And yet when we submit and surrender the common, the ordinary, the everyday things to God, he takes our natural and makes it supernatural. He takes our ordinary and makes it extraordinary. We see that throughout Scripture. We see it with the Elisha story with the widow. As she pours out the little oil, God keeps replacing it. We see it with the little boy with the five loaves and two fish as he gives what he has God does a miracle we see it with David as he surrenders his sling God takes down the giant God always starts with what you have because most of us are very conscious of what we don't have we're very conscious of our deficiency of what we lack and God simply would say to us is this nothing is too ordinary nothing is too common for me to use if you will give me what you have even if it doesn't seem like enough I will take what you have and I will supernaturally empower it and you will not be able to believe what I will do through it. So what have you got? Let me ask you that. What have you got? What have you got in your life that God can use? What is the thing in your life that you think, oh, it's just too ordinary, it's too common? I was listening to Christine Kane, who started A21, a wonderful organization that... Uh, that deals with trafficking and, 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 and really powerfully uh, seeks to bring women and children out of trafficking. And, and when she said when she started A21, she hadn't a clue what she was doing. She didn't know much about trafficking. She didn't have any comments she didn't, or, or connections. But she said this. She, in her own words, she said, I've got a big mouth. She's a Greek lady. She can talk. And she said, you know what? If I've got a big mouth, I can talk about this. And now they have 14 offices around the world and have seen hundreds and thousands of women freed from slavery and oppression. Why? Because she simply took what she had and she was willing to use it for God's glory. And so uh, the pressure has a purpose and use what you have. 
And then we read this in verses 19 to 20. Then the angel of God, then the angel of God, I want you to note that, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, and so neither went near the other all night long. I think that is such a beautiful verse. Up until now, we read that God has been going before them in a cloud. But when the enemy starts pursuing them, God goes behind them. But there's this beautiful phrase, the angel of the Lord who had been in front of them goes behind them. Nowhere else have we heard that the angel is in front of them. In other words, the people have no idea that God has an angel going in front of them. And it got me wondering, how many times do we have angels around us? How many times do we have angels clearing the way? How many times has the Lord saved us and protected us from something because he sends his messengers, his angels, to surround us, to protect us, to go before us, and to go behind us? Because here's the great thing about God. He's not just the God who guides us forward. He's the God who guards our back. And sometimes I need someone to guide me forward. And sometimes I need someone who has my back. And I love that our God is the God who gets between us and our enemies. Our God is the God who steps in between us and our enemies. And I love this picture. It says that that the cloud was dark on the Egyptian side and the cloud was bright on the Israelite side. Isn't that a picture of what we see in salvation in Christ? The Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are the light of the world. You're in the light. You're walking in the light. But those who aren't in Christ are in darkness. They're living in darkness. And so God's people are walking in the light and God is getting between them and their enemies. God has your back. God had their back. God has your back. God goes before you. God goes beside you. God goes in front of you. But he also goes behind you to protect you. God has you covered. You know, I was reading a book this week by a lady called Danielle Strickland who does uh, a wonderful work with the Salvation Army. She's a Canadian. And uh, she works on the streets with a lot of people. And she was talking about a particular person who, who she was working with in, in this book. And let me just read. I'm going to read just a, a passage from it. And I thought it was beautiful. She says this. Danielle Strickland says this. Years ago, I was journeying with a friend of mine, Stephanie. She was getting untangled from a life of oppression. She had been exploited by a terrible bully, a pimp who had done horrible things to her, oppressing her in almost every way a person can be oppressed. She was still terrified when she thought of him. Even though she was now in a safe place, she still had nightmares and times when he would come into her mind and bully her still. One time we were praying together and the bully showed up in her prayers. She shut down. She said she didn't want to keep praying. The bully was tormenting her, reminding her of all that he would do to her when she returned. We stopped for a bit to take a break, and then I got mad. I got mad at the bully. I got mad at the injustice of it all. This tyrant had already taken too much of my friend's life. So I proposed to Stephanie that we go back into that moment of prayer where the bully showed up. We weren't going to ignore it. We weren't going to evade it. We weren't going to pretend it didn't happen. And we certainly weren't going to agree with him. We weren't going to give him our prayer time. We would confront the bully, but not by ourselves because the oppressors are too big for us. I suggested that we invite Jesus to come into the place where the bully was. 
Rather than to confront the bully in our weakness and fear, we invited Jesus to reveal where he was in the midst of the confrontation. Stephanie agreed to do it because she is strong and was choosing not to let fear dominate her life. So we prayed again and we invited Jesus to show his presence. Stephanie began to laugh. I remember being confused. What's going on? I asked. She looked at me with a big goofy grin and said, well, he showed up. I, see, I sighed a breath of relief. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is real. I asked her where he was and that's when she explained what was so funny. Jesus had shown up right where I hoped he would, between her and the bully. But that wasn't what was so funny. Jesus, Stephanie said, had shown up so huge that she had to hug his left calf to withstand his presence. He was bigger than I expected, she said with a huge grin. Way bigger than he expected as well. She described with joy and freedom what it felt like to watch this bully, this oppressor, literally run away from Jesus in her prayer. God has you covered. God is the God who goes before you. God is the God who goes behind you. He has your back. And whenever you face an enemy, I want you to know this, that Jesus stands between you. That Jesus is the one who is in the middle and he is your shield. He is your protector and he is the one who fights for you. God has you covered. Look at verses 21 to 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can you imagine what this is like? These two huge vertical walls of water on either side. Can you imagine going through that? I'm sure some of the guys were like, woohoo, this is great. And others were like, run. And others were like, don't even breathe. Don't say a word. And others were like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. But you know what? It didn't matter how much faith they had. Because it wasn't about how much faith they had. It was about the object of their faith. It was about the one that they had faith in. And he was the one holding up the waters. He was the one who had pushed back the waters. And he is the one who would keep back the waters. But here's the thing I was thinking about this. That he brought them out of danger. But the way through the water was also dangerous. There was fear behind them in terms of the Egyptians. And there was fear all around them in terms of these walls of water. And sometimes we just have to choose our fear. Sometimes there's fear going back and there's fear going forward and we just have to choose our fear. There's fear staying where we are and there's fear moving to the next thing. Sometimes we just have to choose our fear. You see, a lot of us would love this perfect life where we know everything is going to, and it's all going to work out, and it's all going to, and God has told us everything is going to happen. That's just typically not the way it works in my experience. There's fear here. There's fear there. There's fear there. We just choose our fear. And in all of this process, where there's so much fear right now all around us, where there's so much anxiety all around us, do you know what? You can choose a fear to stay contained. You can choose a fear to stay where you are or you can choose a fear to keep moving forward. As a, ch- as a church, we have chosen, I would rather choose the fear of moving forward than the fear of staying where I am. 
I would rather choose the fear of walking into the future God has for us than the, state, than the fear of hiding behind closed doors for the rest of my life. There's always fear. And I love this about God. It says this, that when the people walked through, they walked through on dry ground. They didn't even get their sandals wet. Sometimes God just does that wee bit extra. Sometimes God is the, the God who shows up and does abundantly, exceedingly above all we can ask or imagine. They didn't even get their feet muddy. God is in charge of the big things, like the sea, and he's also in charge of the little things, like drying the land. Let's keep reading. We're going to finish up. Verses 23 to 28. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. It's great when even the enemy recognizes that God is fighting for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea at daybreak. The sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing before it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. God opens the water. God makes a way where there is no way. He is the way maker. But the same God who makes a way for them is the same God who completely destroys their enemies. He doesn't tell them up front what he's going to do. But as they walk forward, God moves on their behalf. And God doesn't tell you what lies up ahead. Right now, and I've said this a number of times, we have no idea what the next month, two months, three months, six months is going to bring. But we do know the word of God. We do know the character of God. And that's what we lean on. That's what we stand on. That's our foundation as we seek to move forward in obedience and faith and boldness and confidence into the next stage that God has for us. But then we read this, that when God's people had crossed over, what does God do? He closes the sea. The same God who opened it is the same God who closed it. Why did he close it? Well, we see it was to drown the Egyptians. That God didn't just want to disable the enemy. He wanted to destroy the enemy. God wanted to wipe up so that, wipe the enemy off the earth so that for the next 40 years, the Israelites wouldn't be looking over their shoulders afraid. But there was something else. I think there's another reason God closes the sea. And that is to prevent Israel ever going back. The same God who opened the door closes the door. Because every single time in the next 40 years when things get tough, when there's pressure, when things get difficult and challenging in the wilderness, what's the first thing Israel say? Wouldn't it have been better back in Egypt? And God closes that door to stop them going and we serve a God who opens doors, and we love open doors. We're all about open doors. God, open the door. Lord, would you open a door for a new building? God, would you open a door for a new, a, not a new husband or wife, just a husband or wife, not a new one, just the first one. 
Would you open a door for, for a new job? Would you open a door for this new opportunity? We love it when God opens doors, but we don't like it so much when God closes doors. And yet closed doors are often a sign of God's love and intervention in our lives as open doors. The doors that God has closed in your life at the time you were disappointed, when you didn't get the job, when you didn't get the girl, when you didn't get the opportunity, and at the time it hurts your pride, it hurts, it stings, And yet, like, I'm sure many of us here, you look back and you're saying, thank you, Lord, that you closed that door. Because if you hadn't closed that door back there, I wouldn't be where I am now. Sometimes God opens doors and sometimes God closes doors. And sometimes the reason he closes them is because he said, I don't want you to go back there. If I brought you out of there, there is absolutely no reason for you to go back there. Anything that you pray for God to deliver you from, you really have no reason to go back to And some of us are struggling to move forward because we're still keeping the door open back here, just in case. We're keeping our options open back here. You know, I was talking to Becky about this yesterday, that when we first met, there'd been a girl that I'd dated quite a while before Becky. And uh, and we dated for a few years, and and we broke up on really good terms, and so... I kept this girl in my life. She was a good friend. We hung out a lot. And no matter who I dated after that, we'll call her Julie. We'll call her Majuli. Okay? Uh, whoever I dated after that, Julie was in my life. Okay? So I'd be dating somebody and Julie had been, you know, and I'd be hanging out with Julie. And then I remember it was my, about three days into my, 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 three days after my first date with Becky, Becky said, what are you doing tonight? I said, I'm going to see my friend Julie. And Becky went, that's no problem, Craig. Um, just so you know that if you maintain that friendship with Julie, we're finished from this night. <laughs> and all the women said, <laughs> And it's amazing how that ultimatum made me close a door that I'd been keeping open for a long time. Because Becky knew something that I was trying not to admit, and that was, well, I still had my attachment to an ex, I would never really be able to move forward with her. And some of us are holding on to things. You know, we do that, don't we? I mean, how many of us have got stuff at home that's been broken for 15 years, but we keep it around? <laughs> I'm not talking about your wife or husband. Um, but how many of us have got stuff in the garage that really, oh, we'll, we'll fix it and might come in handy someday? Or that suit or that outfit in our wardrobe that's 14 sizes too small or too big, but you know what, we make it around to wearing it one day. Or that food in our fridge or in our cupboards that, like, you know, was out of date in 1986, but we keep it there. Some things, when they're expired, we just need to get rid of them. There are things in our lives that are expired, and God says there's some things that you've been carrying this far, but I don't want you to carry them into your future. And so I want you to close that door. I want you to close the door. I want you to close the door so that you won't go back. You know, when I started, I'm finishing up now. When I started theological college in 2003, I'd left a good job. I thought I was going to just be blessed, blessed, blessed for the next three years in training. And within two or three months, I hit the lowest place I'd ever been to in my life. And I remember it got so bad that on Christmas Day, I lay in my parents' house on my little single bed and I cried and I said, God, I want to go back to my old job. I didn't love the job, but it was a good job. And I'd got on well with my boss, and I knew that probably at that stage I could still get my job back. 
And yet for 10 or 15 years, I knew God had called me into doing this. But I just was finding it so hard that everything within me wanted to go back to what was comfortable and familiar. And I wrestled with it over that Christmas holiday. And everything within me wanted to go back because honestly, I was feeling so low in that. And it got to the stage in the wrestling where I just had to say, God, you have called me to this. And so no matter how I feel, no matter how hard this is, I'm not going back. I'm going forward. And within days of that, that heaviness started to lift. What I was saying to God and what I was saying to the enemy and what I was saying to myself was, I'm closing that door. And it's amazing once you close some doors, how quickly things move forward. There are some attachments that you have tethered yourself to back there that if you will release yourself from them, it's amazing how God will take you forward. There are some doors that God wants you to close. And just as I I finish now, I love this story because... It's a story of the Egyptians. It's a story of the Israelites. And it's a story of each one of us. You see, we read these stories and we think they're nice stories, but we don't realize that the whole of the Old Testament was foreshadowing and pointing forward to the one who would come. And so can you imagine if you are talking to one of the Israelites after this and you say, who are you? And this is probably, this might be the sort of response you'd have got from an Israelite after they parted across the Red Sea. They may have said something like this. We are a people who were bound by slavery and oppression. We couldn't get free by ourselves, but God sent a deliverer to come and rescue us. We escaped God's judgment and wrath because we took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. He brought us out of slavery. He set us free. And as we passed through the waters, we entered into a new life. Now we're on a journey towards the promised land, knowing that the God who saved us is the God who is with us. And he's the God who will provide for us. And he is the God who will bring us through to the other side. For he is all we need. Give her a think about that. Isn't that beautiful? What a picture of what Christ has done. He has freed us from slavery. He has brought us out. There was nothing we could do ourselves, but he sent a mediator, Jesus Christ, to bring us through. And the God who has saved us is the God who is saving us, and he's the God who will save us. And so we can go forward with the confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus.